Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hello. Just before we start this week's episode of Reclaim Me, I was wondering if you could do me a favor. Can you please go onto the app that you're listening on, click that subscribe button and rate and review this podcast. It really helps me reach other listeners and other survivors and allow them to tell their story and to learn from this podcast too. Now to the show. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by a very special guest. Hi, my name is Galit. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, Maddie. Thank you for joining me, Galit. And I met you very um, recently, basically via social media. Um, You reached out to me and we had a phone call and then we've become fast friends. We've met up and had a few drinks together with some of our other survivor friends. So um, it's been a wonderful experience meeting you and getting to know you. Well, thank you. I feel the same way. You know, you were actually the first page or person that I came across that was advocating openly about, you know, being a survivor and wanting change. So you've really been the first step for me to connect with other survivors. So I'm really grateful for what you've, um, for the platform that you've created. It's been great. Thank you so much. And I'm so grateful to hear that and to hear that I'm reaching people and that this is getting somewhere. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad for that. Um, Gellert, do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Like what, what's your background? Where are you from? Um, you've got a very unique name. Um, do you mind telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I've recently turned 23. Um, I live in Melbourne in Australia. Um, I'm one of three, so I'm the middle child, uh, older brother, younger sister. Um, my name, it is a unique one. It's a Hebrew name. It actually means little wave. Um, so I am Jewish, so that's the connection there. Um, but other than that, I'm fully Aussie. I was actually born in Hobart, but moved down to move up to Melbourne when I was quite young. Um, but all my family, my parents, all my grandparents are South African from Johannesburg. So it's a bit multicultural there, but, um, yeah, that's me. So I'm so grateful to have you here because we're going to talk about a topic that's quite, um, quite hard to talk about today specifically. So do you mind telling us a little bit about um, what your story is and and where it began for you? Yeah, of course. So I am a survivor of child sexual abuse. 
I was abused by my biological dad um, when I was quite young. I was about nine, um, and it went up until I was about 13. Um, I don't exactly have memories that, you know, I don't remember the first time. I don't remember the last time. It was quite frequent. It was quite often. Um, so that was a lot of my childhood occupied by that. Um, the dynamic of my family is quite, uh, unique, I'm going to say. Um, we, my parents were together at the time. Um, yeah, I was living in a family of five of us, my parents together, my older brother and my younger sister. Um, I am Jewish, like I said before, so I was raised quite religious. Um, I think that was what a lot of our childhood was focused on, certainly from my mom's point of view. So my mom was quite religious. My dad, not really. Um, they didn't really make it work super well in the household, but that's the household that I lived in. So it was quite divided. There was a lot of deceit. Um, but you know, that's all coming from the inside. If you were to look at our family from the outside, I think we would have come across as quite a normal, quite an average, you know, my mom is an educator within the Jewish school systems. My dad owned his own company. He was an optometrist. So, you know, we seemed quite together and, um, and I mean, by all means we were, um, for me, it's, it's quite difficult because I, you know, I was going through such a horrible thing all by myself. This wasn't something that either of my siblings were experiencing either. Um, which I did know at the time, but yeah, the, the relationship that I formed with my father from a young age, um, yeah, look, at the time I thought it was all very normal. Obviously now I realize it's not. Um, yeah. But it was very much given to me in a way of love, in a form of care and with just, it was just love. That's how I was, that, that's the type of abuse that it was, I guess. It was, it was, well, I love you, so I can do, so that's, that's what we do. Um and it was very normal for me. It was super, it was so normal for me that, you know, up until the age of 11, I actually thought that it happened in every family because that's all I knew. Um, you know, being quite religious, being Orthodox, there was not much exposure. Um, you know, I started off at an all girl school and slowly progressed to less and less religious, um, to the point where I actually ended up dropping out of school. Um, so pretty much, yeah, this was all happening within the household, kind of right under everybody's noses. Nobody really had any idea, um, which I'll go into that a bit more on the topic of grooming and, and how it's not quite just the abused that is groomed, but rather everybody in the environment. I'll go into that a bit more later. Um, yeah. So once I kind of hit puberty, it, it pretty much stopped it started decreasing and then it just stopped um and then it was like it never happened you know my family was still living all together in the one house and uh, yeah it was if somebody told me that it was just a dream I would have believed them that's how far away it was from me um and then 
yeah, I kind of lived a normal childhood life. And then when I hit about 17, so this was uh, the beginning of 2015, um, my family kind of, I'd say we were kind of not your typical family necessarily. We, My mom is very attached to Israel, the country, and, you know, she has a very strong connection and she ended up going to live there for six months with my younger sister who was doing her year nine at the time um, for six months at the beginning of 2015. And my brother was on his gap year um, also in Israel, actually. So, uh, um, yeah, I ended up living just myself and my dad for those six months. And, you know, now I reflect on it and I realize that that would have been the trigger as to what set me off um, with this intense, immense depression. Um, but at the time I had no idea. So I went about six months or so, um, where I fell incredibly, incredibly depressed. Um, very quickly became very quickly started self-harming, um, and very quickly became suicidal. And it was very out of the blue for me. I hadn't made the connection yet that it was related to this abuse. Like I said, it was pushed so far down. I couldn't even see it. <laughs> and, yeah. And then, yeah, in 2015, I made the connection myself and I found the strength to tell my boyfriend at the time, who then encouraged me to tell my psychologist that I was seeing. Um, and then a few weeks after that, she encouraged me to tell my mom. Now, at the time, at the time, this was like unthought of for me. I, I had no... It, I, I swore that I would take it to my grave. It was never going to be spoken about. And, you know, up until the time it, it started affecting me, I was happy to do that. And then I just, I was so depressed. I just, I needed, I needed help. And I didn't know how to get that help. Um, it came down to one night. It was, I believe, the 25th of August in 2015. Yeah. And... Uh, I can't remember what I was fighting with my dad about, um, but he was setting a boundary that I was not happy with. And in that moment, I was just like, my head was just like, fuck you. You're telling me, no, I'm going to make your life shit right now. You go. I, I said to him, go stand up, go to mom in the other room and tell her what you've done. And this is just at 17 years old. I should throw in there that um, that year in 2015, while we had been living together, after, and I'll also just add that there was no funny business. There was no abuse. There was nothing at all happening at this time. Yeah. Um, so it had, it had stopped for a while by this time. Yeah. It had fully stopped. It yeah. stopped since for, for quite a few years at this point. Um, yeah. But in that year, in, in the, in the beginning of 2015, there, or after I told my therapist, I basically came out, I spoke with my dad and confronted him about it. Um, to which he, uh, you know, accepted full, full responsibility. And he, you know, broke down emotionally. And, um, you know, as a child, I ended up comforting him at that time. It was very much reversed roles. And just, you know, the, the role that I was playing as his daughter was more like a partner rather than a daughter. I was emotionally and physically, well, not at that time, but like, yeah, look, I'll just say that we 
I had confronted him and we had had conversations, one or two conversations in which he had basically, you know, acknowledged, <laughs> just acknowledged that what I had, what had happened to me had happened. And that was a really awesome for, first step for me because it just empowered me a little bit. And I would say that's probably something already quite unique to my story is that, you know, when it did get taken further, my dad actually did confess to everything too much more than I ever confessed to. And, um, that's, I guess, on the one hand made it easier for me. On the other hand, made it a lot more difficult for me. Um, Definitely. but yeah, pretty much I felt the courage to be able to say to my dad, go say what, go, go to my mom, tell her what you did. It took about five minutes to compose himself. And, uh, he went, this was obviously after my mom had arrived back from Israel with my sister. She was upstairs and my brother was still away and he composed himself. He went into my, into the, where my mom was. And he said straight up, I, I sexually abused our daughter. Um, from there, that was just the beginning of the end for me at that point. Yeah. Um, that's. I think was at the beginning, that was on a Friday evening. Um, at that point, you know, it was, it's, it's, it, my mom was keeping it to herself, just telling, you know, people who she needed to tell to get support for herself. Obviously it's a massive shock. Like how do you, how does one even respond to that when you're being told by your husband that your husband has been molesting your child for all these years? Like I, I can't even fathom how she would have, taken that but yeah she's a goddamn absolutely like wow you just even you saying that like I've just got goosebumps because from for her like you know her empathy for you obviously as well she loves you so much you're her daughter but I think as a mother you'd feel so guilty as well that you didn't know absolutely and that must be something really hard to for her as well to reconcile and and that must have been so difficult for her to hear yeah, it was. I mean, the first thing that she said, she was obviously very distraught and in tears and she just would apologize to me nonstop. I, I, I didn't think that she would feel that, that guilty for not being there, but, uh, she did. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get onto my relationship individually with my parents a little bit later because it'll provide a little bit more context. Um, yeah, absolutely. But from there, pretty much. Um, over the weekend, I, I had been flunking school all year. I hadn't been attending, like I said, super depressed. Um, and I wasn't going to pass year 11. I basically just decided, fuck it. I'm, I've gotten this off my chest. My mum knows it's not just a secret within myself. Now I can move forwards. That, that was my, <laughs> that was my mind, the, the state of my mind at that point. And I was excited. Like I was keen I had felt the weight just lift off of my shoulders just from being able to tell my mom, just from telling somebody. It was amazing. Um, so then come that, I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday, <clears throat> I did decide to leave school. Um, so I've had my last day on that Tuesday. I finished at about 12. I was so optimistic. I remember this day very, very clearly. So optimistic for my future. I was just like, I can put it behind me now. Obviously not realizing the whole healing journey was about to begin. But um, from there, my mom picked me up from school. And I get into the car and she's like, I've gotten a call from the police. We have to go down to the police station now and give a statement. At that point, I was like, what the fuck? 
motherfucker? Like, who has tipped off to the police? Who even knows at this point? In my head, I was just never in my wildest dreams at that point had I imagined that the police would get involved. That was... Absolutely. Yeah, I just thought, you know, yeah, my family will fall apart. My parents will probably get divorced. That's where it'll end. But I was very wrong. Um, So we went down to Moravan Police Station. Um. I was terrified. I was terrified. I mean, I had never really spoken about any kind of detailing or anything that had happened to me. So sitting in that, um, sitting in that room with a, you know, a male, um, detective going through some very intimate questions was very uncomfortable, but necessary. Um, I will add that in my experience there, um, you know, I was obviously very powerless throughout this whole experience. And they had said something that gave me a sense of, of power, um, and ownership. And that was pretty much saying that if that no matter what the, the power is in my hands, it's in my choice. If I want to push press charges against my dad, I can, if I don't, I don't have to. And that was a massive relief for me because at the time I was protecting my dad. Not, I did not want to see this become bigger than it was. I was having trouble like admitting things. I, it was just, it was too much for me. And I was, you know, I had been groomed to protect my dad, look after him, preserve the family dynamic and just make things okay. And, um, so obviously my gut instinct was, well, I don't want to press charges. I don't want to do anything. I want to go home. I want to put this to bed. I want to leave it. I want to forget about it. Um, to my dismay, that was not an option at all because like I said, he confessed, he confessed to everything. Um, well, everything that he thought to say, everything that he remembered, which is more than what I remembered at that point. Um, and at that point, once he, once he confessed, the power is out of my hands. The police um, pressed charges against him, and I just was completely re-traumatized by the fact that my life had just turned completely upside down. Like, you know, it was that day as well that my sister was told of the abuse um, and that a lot more people were told, and all of a sudden this deep, dark secret that was mine that I was going to take to my grave was now very public and very well-known, not just because of who had been told, but, you know, for anybody out there who has or who is in the Jewish community, um, news like this or any kind of gossip can really spread quite quickly. Um, And that was a big reality shock for me, knowing that all of a sudden there were people out there who I didn't even know who knew what had happened to me. Um, Yeah. It was just terrifying. That's something I really – um resonate with because that was the same thing with me. I think once I had gone to school on the Monday after everything had happened on that weekend, um, I felt like all eyes were on me a hundred percent. And, and it was so difficult even years later, people being like, Oh, I know who you are. You're that girl. And people without knowing me would come up to me and say, um, say that, or they'd stop conversations or, Um, And it was really awful. You feel, you know, you get a sense of possibly what it would be like to feel famous, but famous for something that would be the worst thing you could ever be famous for. Yeah, without a doubt. And, um, you know, for for something for myself that it's it's such a taboo topic um, in general, let alone kind of 
within the community. It was just very, it was spoken about, but not spoken about. I don't, it was, it was quite strange. Um, um, but yeah, the, just the, the shock for me from it going from nobody knowing to all of a sudden multiple people knowing, um, that was, that was a shock for me. And, you know, even if people didn't know what had actually happened, people knew that something had happened. Um, so yeah, that wasn't very fun. <laughs> um, yeah, and it also understand. felt like I was being defined by something, by this thing that at the time I, I, you know, my identity was so broken at that point anyways, that I was kind of just wanting to hold on to any part of myself that felt factual or that I knew was actually part of my strict identity. And, you know, at that point I was kind of just kind of falling into it. I was like, this is who I am. I'm a survivor or I'm a victim rather at that point. Um, and I just allowed myself to be a victim. Um, yeah. And that's really perpetuated my depression um, I spent two to three years after that, um, from 2015, just really trying to survive. Um, I was in and out of psych wards quite a lot, public and private. I did some drug detoxes as well. It was, it was very much about just trying to survive those, those next few years. Um, but yeah. Um, and what about those like specifically few years? I mean, I know that the healing journey from trauma, can be such a bumpy road and, you know, by going through and recover, um, you know, healing from things, you unearth a lot of things on the way and it can be hugely re-traumatizing to try and heal from things and talk about them and go through them again. Is there something that you can look back on and see why, why it was so hard at that time and, and why, why it affected you to that point? Do you think it was your going through things, trying to remember them and and figure them out or was it the aftermath and the association with you not having an identity of your own and trying to figure out where your place was in the world? Definitely both. Absolutely both. Um, I think trying to figure out who I am, my identity, my place in the world, that's something that I'm still strongly working on at the moment. Um, and, you know, I don't think it'll ever be fully complete it's constantly evolving but that has been something that's been a, something that I've been working on more in the last few years like I said the first has just been about strictly surviving um yeah but the reason yeah part of the reason why I think it was also very very difficult um was because it wasn't it wasn't violent abuse you know it wasn't it wasn't him forcing me it wasn't him he never told me to keep it a secret um he never told me that there was no violence around it at all. Um, and there's a lot of shame that came with that because for myself, I almost leaned into it. In fact, I did lean into it, um, which, you know, as a child, I don't blame myself. I mean, I guess for a bit I did, but now I certainly don't blame myself. It was all I knew. And, and what child doesn't want love and affection from their parent, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it definitely created a massive blurred line because you're being given something that at that age is love and care and affection and, you know, being made to feel special and a priority, this, that, and the other with, you know, that being complimented by physically feeling good 
I guess, which can, which did, you know, I had a lot of shame around that as well, around the idea that my body was responding in the natural way that it should respond when it's being aroused and being touched in certain areas. Um, so I guess being mad, there was a lot of self-hate, a lot of self-hate kind of mad at my body and at myself for, I guess, to an extent, enjoying what I was receiving emotionally and physically. Um, yeah, there's a lot of conflict that still remains within me now because I've had to go and, and part of my healing has just been rewiring what I know to be as love um, and what I had known to be as love and, and, and put a different view on it. I'm, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, um, I just think that if it was a violent act, if I had been forced or if it had been uh, malicious or, you know, then I feel like it would have been a lot easier to understand, you know, abuse equals violence, abuse equals pain. It, it, it makes more sense. But when I'm receiving something that, you know, is very much abuse, but I'm, but it's being given to me in a way of love, in a way of this is, this is what fathers and daughters do. It, it's yeah, it's mind boggling. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think I can completely well, I'm trying to completely understand what you're saying. And I think it's a really important message to send. And it's something that I speak to a lot of survivors about is that we're kind of shown that abuse and sexual abuse is very violent. And it's a stranger danger situation where, you know, somebody in a trench coat takes you off the side of the road and you're kicking and screaming. And I think a lot of survivors really struggle in their mind to reconcile the fact that they still might have kind feelings towards their abuser um, or might have um, had an orgasm or, you know, I spoke to a male victim who had an erection and it doesn't excuse that, but reconciling that in your mind against what you hear publicly as sexual abuse um, is really difficult. And I completely, and I commend you for saying what you said, because I think it is an important part of recognizing the effects of abuse and physiological responses and, making sure that people understand what it is. There's absolutely no fucking excuse for what he did, mm. but I can understand completely why this is such a dichotomy in your mind because you've got the law and what, you know, outwardly what the, you know, it's a breaking of the law, but there are so many different levels that you've been violated and to come to terms with them and to reconcile that in your brain must be so incredibly challenging to do because I feel like you're fighting yourself almost against it mm. yeah I was <laughs> it's it's just really hard to try and make sense of something that you're being told by everybody around you and obviously at the time when I disclosed my story um or what had happened to me I was aware that it was wrong you know um like I said I was 11 when I kind of my mom sat me down with the whole obviously having no idea at all and the, the, the speech was something about, um, you know, you're going to start going through puberty very soon. Men will start to look at you differently. If any boy or any man or any stranger touches you inappropriately or makes you feel uncomfortable, then, you know, say something, blah, 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 basically giving that speech. But n nobody, she obviously wouldn't have said anything like anybody, you know, your dad, your family, your like uh, family, friends or anything. I feel like there's a big gap in, in what you pointed out just before that, that, yeah, I think we know that things happen behind closed doors, but we don't really know 
Um, and I don't expect people to, you know, I certainly didn't, I certainly didn't blame anybody in my family, my mom or my, my siblings for not seeing it. I mean, there are some situations that cause a lot of pain because, you know, on the one hand, it's like, (laughs) this was happening like almost every day, right? Under everybody's noses. How did you not see it? But on the other hand, it's like, it was like that for a reason. Like he created it to be like that, whether it was consciously or not, there was a high level of grooming that, that had to occur in order for me, in, in order for him to have access to me without anybody picking up on that. My immediate family, out of family, friends, people who would spend a lot of time with us at the home, his employees as well. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's really, there was, um, I can't remember all the points, but when I talk, when, when Grace Tame was talking about, you know, grooming, you know, young, younger girls or younger kids, like there was the whole putting a, dividing them from, from people of support. You know, my, my relationship with my mom was virtually non-existent, even though we were all in the same house. Um, I was really just dad's girl. Um, and you know, I also had very, very pretty much no relationship with my brother. Um, you know, my dad was also very close to my brother, obviously without any kind of abuse or anything without sexual abuse in there. Um, a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Look, the other really hard part is that, and I'll say this, I'll say this, um, and I know that it's maybe not something that a lot of people will understand, but my dad was also a very, very good 
dad, um, if you, <laughs> which sounds absolutely ridiculous, but he, in almost every way, was a very good dad. We, 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 you know, we. I have a lot of fond memories as a kid. We went camping. We went fishing. We, you know, we spent a lot of time together inappropriately, but we also spent a lot of time together as a father and a daughter should. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was very, yeah, very conflicting. Um, and that must be so hard as well with the, you know, him being charged um, and you trying to reconcile not only how you feel about it, but feeling guilty for the fact that, you know, there are those good memories of him there too. Mm. And I have the same little- as like, it's much easier to walk away when you hate somebody, exactly. but when you have fond memories with them and you do love them, it's so hard. When you don't see him as evil and, you know, I actually, I still do have, I'm naturally an empathetic person, but I do have that perspective of, you know, for me, I just look at everybody as a little child. Like what is it like? Everybody was a child at one point and everybody is just trying to survive and learn and grow and whatever. So I don't expect everybody to agree with me, but I certainly believe that people are bred people aren't born evil. People are bred evil. And, uh, you know, evil is kind of actually a bit of an extreme word, but we're, we're a result of, of, of our environment and the people who have brought us, um, to where we are now. So not that I blame my grandparents for, um, what my dad did. I certainly do not. Um, but I just take into account that, I just feel that just because people do bad things, it does not make them bad people. I really don't expect people to understand where I'm coming from, um, especially in this topic of abuse. Um, however, I I don't make excuses for my dad anymore. He what he did was fucked up, and it's it's really it's taken a massive toll on me for years. Um, but I do try my hardest to look at different perspectives Um, because quite frankly, the anger and the pain was holding me back and not that I want to forgive him um, because I don't always think that that's necessary. I've certainly come to a point of just accepting, just accepting what has happened and just accepting, sorry, I've lost my point a little bit, but no, no. It, I think it make, you're making a really good point, and I think, you know, it is it is exactly like that. And I think I did a post on it the other day because I feel quite strongly about this. Um, I think if you come to a place of forgiveness through your own means without coercion from anybody else, and that's something you personally want to do, hmm. then go for it. You know, no survivor. There's no survivor textbook. There's no right way to do things. You know, there are so many different types of therapy therapy and therapeutic things that you can do to try and heal. Um, and for each person, that will be very different. Yeah, I get really pissed off when people say things like, um, you need to have forgiveness in your heart for the people who have abused you or mm. forgiveness will set you free. That for me personally, I think is fucking bullshit. Mm. Telling me that I need to give forgiveness to somebody who hurt me, I don't think so. I have that experience as well where somebody has Mm. that to me and I felt very hurt by that because 
that's not my job. <laughs> it's not my job to to forgive you, make you feel better. Like, yes, I'll come to a place of acceptance and acknowledgement, but mm. you know, I don't owe it to him or to anybody else. Um, or I, the only person I owe it to is myself, and I'm happy with with where I'm at with it. You know, I no longer protect him. I feel as though, you know, probably about a year or two ago, I was able to fully kind of break myself out of that spell. Um, even though I I knew that what had happened was was wrong, I was still putting him and his needs before mine, or I was having so much empathy that it would get in the way of, of my pain and my my that it would just get in the way. And that's not right. You know, that's, that, that wasn't beneficial for me. And at the end of the day, the only person I can look after is myself. I, I do just want to highlight one thing um, that I just, I find a lot of people struggle with this idea or certainly people that I've spoken to. And it's, it's just the idea that looking after yourself, people think is selfish. Um, and I understand why, but if I, if I hadn't stopped putting my dad first and other people's needs first, my family first, um, yeah, I'd be dead. I'd be dead because, you know, who's there to look after me? I mean, yes, I had great support. I do have great support from my mom, my mom's side of the family and friends, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, I, I just feel that it is really – it is not selfish to take care of yourself, to, to look after yourself mentally, to – to preserve yourself, um, I just think it's so important. It's so important because nobody else is going to do it for you 100%. Absolutely, and I, I really, really agree with that so much. And I always say that this is the reason why when you're on an airplane and the oxygen masks come down, you have to put one on yourself first because you can't help people unless you're okay. Absolutely. And I've spoken to even parents and I've said, you are the most important person in your life because you can't be everything for your child if you're not okay yourself. Mm. And it it's important to take the time to, you know, work through things, but to give yourself, to not feel guilty for looking after yourself, for taking the time to do that. That's fucking important. Yeah. And I spent so many years not taking care of myself, not even knowing that that was, I mean, as a kid, you know, you're supposed to be looked after by your parents. And to an extent that was achieved to a big extent, it was not. I think, look, I think exactly what you're saying is correct. I do have a question though. He once he, um, if we go back to the court oh, yeah. kind of case and everything. Couldn't even get to the court, true. You were in the police station and you've been called in. Um, you were about 16 or 17 then, is that right? Yeah, I was 17 years old. So you're still technically a child. Yes. And do you know who was the person that went to the police? Yes, actually. Um, it was only about a year or two later um, that I found out, but actually – to, this is the to the extent that he felt my dad felt this guilty that he actually um he dubbed himself in <laughs> my mom had given him a couple um uh like uh like numbers for support things like i think just i don't know exactly maybe like lifeline or some of those some of those resources and that and i think he from what he's told me cuz you know from what he told me at that point, he basically went out of his way to find one that was connected to the police so that he could basically dub himself in. Um, so yeah, um, he basically 
put himself in jail. Um, he knew exactly what he was getting himself into when he, when he made those calls for himself. And obviously I was distraught at the time, but I think that was probably a mo for me, it's very hard. I certainly don't forgive my dad, but there are moments of like, just kind of like, just kind of like saving grace or just because just simply because he just made good, good decisions that were for the benefit of me and my family following the, the abuse, obviously. So when I took from the moment I told him to go and tell my mom, he pretty much did everything right. Quotation marks. Like I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have really asked for, and I certainly didn't, but I couldn't have asked for better decisions to be made at that point because you know, he dubbed himself in. Yeah. He, when I was having my interview, I was uh, like my giving my statement. I gave very, you know, my first time ever talking about it. I gave very, very brief, you know, I didn't talk about him um, inserting anything into me where he certainly did. I didn't talk about any oral things, which he did. Um, I only found this out at court when they were reading, I forgot what it's called, but a little like story, <laughs> like, what's it called? Just a, a general description of, of what the kind of abuse was like. And there was a lot of information in there that I know that I didn't give. So he was very yeah. coming with, with, with pretty much everything. Um, and he knew he was going to jail and he was ready to take that on. Um, so that's, so it must be um, quite, yeah, because you'd be grateful that he's admitted to it. Cause I think a lot of people, especially with their parents and having gone through grooming, they, then, you know, just put on the gaslighting. I didn't do that. You're making things up. And I think it would be you're grateful on one hand that he has taken accountability for his actions, but also it doesn't negate the fact of what he's done. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, at the time when he was making, when he was making these decisions and I could see that it was progressing further and further towards going to jail, blah, 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 and all that. I was angry. I was distraught. I was, I didn't want that. <laughs> I had been taught to protect him at all costs. And now he was just throwing himself under the bus. Um, I didn't know how to deal with that. I know that sounds so strange, but like, I, I just didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to look after myself. I only knew how to look after him. Um, and that's all I felt confident in doing at the time to the point where, you know, a year after, so um, we went to court in September of 2016, um, and it was an open shut case because he had confessed. I had been asked to write a victim impact statement, which I did, and um, you know I don't necessarily regret what I wrote because I think there was a lot of truth in there. But I was definitely trying to save his ass, you know. I was, and I did. I the the judge did commend me for my for my statement and the, the things that I said. And he, you know, I, I straight up asked the judge for a lower sentence and for therapy and for help for my dad, that that is how much I was kind of under the spell. And let me just add that he never told me to do this. He never asked me, he never forced me. I was just that dependent on him. Like I was so dependent on him, you know, it's weird because a child should be dependent on their parents, but not this much. I, relied on him fully for validation, for, for everything, for everything. And he, you know, when I reflect on it now as an adult, like whether he intended for it or not, like he created that environment where I would fully depend on him. I would come to him for everything and he would be able to fulfill my needs, um, including needs that, 
you know, I didn't want sexual needs, whatever. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's that trauma bonding that you've had occur, um, which often occurs as a result of ongoing abuse. Um, Mm. And that trauma bonding as something that you have a connection with him and then also as a result of the grooming um, that happened within your family and within your your own relationship with your father. Mm. I think it sounds as well like I can, in your circumstance, like there is no part of this story where it is 100% yeah, there, this is so. This is clean cut. I'm pissed off about it, and I can be angry about it, but accept it and move forward. It's like you've got this push pull in every scenario and every situation because it's not a straightforward. And I can imagine how much that must weigh on your you mentally, um, trying to come to a place of reconciliation and being in the right place to move forward. That I I really um I commend you for how far you've come um, from being somebody who, you know, was suicidal to now be somebody who has opened up and is, is speaking about this openly. Um, I think it's just really fucking incredible. Thank you. I, I so appreciate it. You know, I, I have, since the disclosure, I, I've never been closed about talking about this. I've always been very open to anybody who, you know, has asked it. It is, you know, it's not, it doesn't define me, but it certainly is part of who I am and, you know, I, I'm very pleased to be entering this part in my journey where I can use what I've been through to really hopefully assist other people. You know, if, if, if even one person listens to this and feels any kind of, you know, similarity connection, anything at all, like, and, and that leads them to, to a further step or anything positive, like that, that's my goal. That's really, I just want to (laughs) reach I just think about little gullets and all the little kids out there who just didn't have anybody to tell them that what they're going through is fucking awful and more importantly that they'll be okay. Um, that's all I needed, I think. Well, no, it's certainly not all I needed, but that's that's really what I want. I just I hate the idea of there being little kids out there going through what I went through and not having anybody there. I mean, I certainly... I just, I really hope that this is something that we can make more, um, well, just less taboo to talk about because, you know, from when my disclosure came out, there were three or four women who came forth to me, um, me at the age of 17, three of them being older women in their forties or fifties saying that they've had similar situations, um, and they haven't spoken about it their whole lives, um, and that already, that that was a kick in the right direction for me. That shows me, hey, you know, this fucking awful thing has happened to me, but what can I do with it? What can I, how can I inspire other women to come forward? How can I create conversation? How can I absolutely create understanding around this idea of firstly grooming and, and the abuse doesn't equal violence. And, um, you know, the grooming was never, it was never done with words, you know, the way that he would, you know, kind of segregate me from, from the rest of my family. It's not like he was, you know, defacing my mom's religion or, or he's Jewish too, but like he wasn't very religious at all. Um, it wasn't through his words. It was through his actions. So, you know, the, on a Saturday, it's the Sabbath, it's Shabbat. Um, that's what we call it. And there are a lot of kind of rules and regulations that you're not allowed to do. Um, use a lot, to do with like electronics or stuff like that. Um, and also, uh, 
kosher, keeping kosher. So that comes, that has to do with um, your, the food diet, stuff like that, mixing meat and milk together, what kind of meats you can and can't have. Point is, you know, on a Saturday when my mom was at shul at synagogue, my dad would take us to Macca's, um, which would be breaking 101 rules. Um, and it was just in that kind of behavior that really divided me from my mom. It certainly had a different, you know, effect on my brother and my sister as well. Similar, um, but obviously minus the mm. abuse um, aspect. But it is undermining. Ab- um, well, absolutely. You know, it was yeah, definitely. so much deceit, so much manipulation. My mom... Um, really was quite blindsided from the way that my dad was raising us versus how she was raising us. And, you know, talk about conflict there, there was, we were raised in a household where, you know, there, there wasn't quite, there wasn't um, like violence or anger. There wasn't any kind of, yeah, like money, money problems, whatever, but it, it, it was generally quite a set, settled household, but so much deceit. Um, and I don't think, I I don't even think that certain people in in my family really see how much deceit there really, really was. Um, It's unfortunate. Um, And that must have been hard for you as well, like to get regain your relationship with your mum. What's that been like now reconnecting and with your family um, after court, after everything, and, and even now, what's that been like for you as a journey, as a survivor? Um, it's been very interesting for me. My relationship, well, me and my sister have always been two peas in a pod. Uh, she's three and a half years younger than me and she is my absolute angel and rock. Um, through just from since we were little, we've always just had each other. So that's great. Um, my mom, obviously, like when it was getting to a point right before the disclosure and I was, um, you know, self harming a lot and she basically, there was a whole guffuffle where she was like, I'm coming back to Australia. And I was so angry at her. I was like, if you come back, you're not my mom. Like I, I hated her. Like, and I can say that confidently at that point, I hated my mom with a serious passion for no good reason, like for no good reason at all. Um, that's just what I had been, you know, made to, to see. Um, so our relationship was so fractured and basically non-existent. Um, but, you know, once the disclosure happened, my mom just jumped right up. Her focuses of, you know, I guess her priorities changed, which I'm glad, very glad that they did. Um, it's been a rocky road, but my mom is, she's just a superwoman. Like how does somebody hear this type of news and, make it through not only make it through for herself but she's been just the most incredible support system to me and my siblings and um yeah I I definitely I credit my life to a lot of people um her obviously definitely being one of them she's amazing she's incredible I'm Um, so glad that you've got that support around you as well um to know that you are a priority must have helped so much to feel that way especially kind of going through that feeling of hating her as well. Mm, Yeah. Well, it wasn't always a great priority because obviously I was um, quite, I was in crisis a lot. Um, So when I was getting attention, it wasn't great attention. It was making sure that I'm safe, um, stuff around there. So I I became a priority, but not a positive priority. Um, So yeah, in the last two, three years, it's really, taken a much better turn. I'm not depressed. I'm not suicidal. I haven't self-harmed in many years. So 
I'm really pleased about that. It's, it's, I just, something that I've just adapted to. And, and obviously when I was in such a dark place, I wouldn't, I, I didn't see it at all, but everything passes, everything passes, um, the good and the bad. And, you know, I just, I think without the support, I probably wouldn't have gotten through it as well as I am, but, um, I would also just support and therapy and medication as well has been very helpful for me. I just, my mindset is there's resources out there. Just go find them. My mom is very much a doer. So she's connections who can help me with this, who can help me with that. And they, they exist, you know, I've been through a lot of different, um, I've just, I've gone through a lot of different, um, you know, government supports, public, private, whatever. Um, I've just gone and tried to reach out with her assistance to as many things as possible. Um, a lot of them, quite frankly, I don't remember like that. It's been a very, my memory is not great around it. You know, I do smoke quite a bit of weed and that's been something that, um, you know, was introduced to me at about 16 actually by my dad um, and was very quickly became very quickly became part of my identity, part of what kept me going through the days when it was all too much. And that was pretty much every day for, for a long time. And it's a bit of a coping mechanism. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, these days I, my relationship with, with weed has, has evolved. Um, but it's still something I struggle with. And, you know, I just want to put that out there that I have, you know, I'll be the first to say I I've, come such a long way, um, from where I thought I, you know, I never thought I would be at the place that I am, but I still do struggle with, with many things. Um, you know, drug abuse is, is definitely one of them. And, um, just my sense of self, my identity, you know, it's all just constantly things that I'm trying to work on. And, um, you know, at such a young age, I just, I was so, absorbed with what was happening to me that I didn't get to fully form the identity, the passions, the interests that a normal nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 year old would form even, even further than that, because even my teen years, even though I wasn't being abused, it occupies so much of you um, mentally. And another thing is that, you know, I was, I was, I became aware of a lot of things, um, mostly sexually that I, quite frankly, I shouldn't have necessarily known at that age. I was living a double life for so long, not even just keeping the secret, but like I knew things that I, that I kind of knew I wasn't supposed to know, you know, I had been exposed to porn. I knew about, um, parts of my body. I knew about orgasms. I knew I just was, uh, sexually active and awake in my mind. And so having to even, you know, I just remember I had experienced at the age of fucking 12 years old or even younger, even young, like I had experienced oral, all these penetration, all these things that, you know, then turning 16, 17 or whatever, or 15, 16, when I'm actually getting involved as, as a young teenager would with, with guys and being interested in all of that. And, you know, me and the girls would just sit and talk and you try to, you know, what does this feel like? What is that? All of that shit. And I knew, but I wasn't allowed to say because, yeah, you know, I, I had to, I was living a double life. I, I had to keep secrets from myself, from people around me. And it was, it was very damaging to my sense of self and to my identity. Um, yeah, it's horrible, <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not all of me and um 
yeah, I, I've worked really hard to, to build myself up. Um, and fuck it. I think I'm doing a pretty good job. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you fucking are. And I'm so proud of you. And I just want to say thank you so much for being so open and sharing what you have, because I think, um, that even if there is one person that this resonates with that, that might help them in some way, I think that that's worth every single part that we can do that. Hmm. Um, I want to say thank you. I want to say quickly as well. Um, if somebody does come and disclose to you something about child sexual abuse, um, or any abuse in the state of Victoria and in the country of Australia specifically, if you're above 18 and somebody discloses that you are a mandated reporter, um, so you do have to um, report that. I think probably, Galette, in your circumstance, maybe because you weren't in danger still, that's why your therapist didn't disclose. But um, anybody over 18 is a mandated reporter. We have to report these things. Um, so if somebody does disclose something to you, um, please make sure that you alert some kind of authority that might be 1-800-RESPECT, Lifeline, um, other different services that you can reach out to for help, but please know that. Um, Secondary to that, if somebody does come forward to you and disclose something for the first time or one of the first times and um, they might not want to um, prosecute, um, they might not want to charge somebody. Um, and that's okay. Our journeys are all different. Um, what, what people see as, um, as being the thing that they want can be different for each and every single person. Mm -hmm. But I always say, please make sure that you go and write it down. Um, obviously tell the person that you're writing it down, write down a date, write down a time, write down some basic notes, just in case they might want to one day prosecute that you've got some evidence there for them. Yeah. Um, so there are two things I always try and focus on and make sure that as survivors and as adults now in society that we're doing our best to support everybody around us. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, all for that. And I think what you said as well that was really poignant is that you're you're still going through it. And I think that's something that all survivors have. I think you 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 think you're going to reach this pinnacle of happiness, but with mental illness, with depression, with um, trauma, with issues, um, with substance abuse, you know, there are weeks where I drink way too much, and I'm not sure why I'm doing and having these self-destructive behaviors as much as I am. And then I can have weeks where I don't drink at all, and I'm completely fine. Mm. Um, or I can drink normally and not take it too far. Mm. Um, so I completely agree. There are weeks and, you know, I think that I'm somebody that has worked through it for a very long time. Um, and I'm mostly okay, but there are some days where it all just piles up and it gets too much. And I just want to let everybody know that that is completely normal and that is completely okay. It is okay. Um, and you can reach a point where you think that you're completely healed and go back two steps. That's fine. But you're not really going backwards. You're going to find a new way to deal with that pain and it's going to catapult you way further forward than you ever were before. Um, and working through this with with people who who trust you, uh, who you trust and who believe you is really important. Um, so I want you to know that as well. Thank you. That those days that, you know, you go backwards or that you feel shit and you go, how the hell did I end up here? Like I was feeling fine. Why, you know, and you get angry at yourself sometimes for, mm. you know, um, just know that that is okay and that is normal and those are the things that you will get through you're never going to be happy all day every day 
but we can create our own toolboxes to give ourselves the best chance every day to have a happy day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I personally am not, um, whether it's the weed or whether it's just my nature, like I'm not always a very, um, active person. Like I can sleep, I can sleep and I can, I can really sleep, you know, and, uh, to a lot of other people, it will seem, you know, like depression or it could come across in many ways. But for me, that's as strange as it seems, it's, it's self-care, it's self-care. And, um, you know, some days it's not, some days it is, but either way, it's, uh, it's not something that I want to judge myself over anymore because I know that I'm just, you know, I'm just human. I'm just trying to get through it. Um, and if I'm not kind to myself, then like, why should other people be kind to me? You know, it all starts with, from within. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept, I think. And I think that kind of comes back to personal relationships and how we see ourselves. And, you know, often victims of trauma and abuse end up into trauma and abuse because we value ourselves so little. And I think if you can work on yourself and gaining a respect for yourself, you get to a point where your environment around you starts to change because you stop taking shit and you start being loved and appreciated the way that you love and appreciate yourself. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, that was a really heavy story and and I know that it's going to help a lot of people, but thank you so much. Um, if this story has struck a chord with you, um, I will link in crisis services for Australia and a few other countries for you to reach out to if you need some crisis support. Um and I'll link some other resources in the show notes. But for now, thank you so much. This is Reclaim Me signing off. Thank you. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.